Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Wasting Time podcast. We've been away for a little while. Uh, apologies for that, but we're back. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. I'm on the line with Nick. How's it going, Nick? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. It's good to get back to this because we've, we've had a quiet little period, I guess. Yeah, but you're still keeping on top, top of the episode numbers as well, though. So. I am, yeah. I had a little check before before we did this. Good stuff. <laughs> so, so basically, we, we've got a couple of episodes coming up, um, and with us being away for so long, I think... Let, let's uh, save the usual kind of intro and we'll just we'll dive straight into this one and then on the next episode we'll talk a bit about new releases and stuff if that's cool with you nick we can do although the the next episode is quite a lengthy lengthy one as well it is so, um, it is length lengthy in a good way i'd say because okay. it because it's an interesting guest yeah plenty of good stories on that one. Oh yeah but yeah let's yeah. let's just dive into into this one i guess did we cover in the in the interview did we cover the stuff the 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 fact that we actually initially recorded this about six months ago uh yes yeah you you cover that early on in the interview so we don't need to don't need to cover that here so we'll we'll just lead in by saying we uh finally got our chat with peter munters who uh who we're both big fans of because he used to front the band called over it that both nick and i liked back in the day and then then over it kind of reformed as run runner runner in a very different style of music um but I was a fan of them as well, so I was really keen to talk to Peter. And this turned out to be our second interview with Peter, uh, <laughs> who was awesome about it. And just want to thank yeah. him again for that. Yeah, incredible, incredibly, uh, yeah, awesome guy for allowing us to to do it again. For and, sure. Yeah. And yeah, that was completely my fault as well. So, um, <laughs> so sorry to both Peter and you, Chris. As <laughs> no well. worries, mate. No worries. And the listeners. <laughs> with that said, here's our chat with Peter. So we're joined by Peter Munters, who has been involved with several musical projects over the years. Uh, our listeners might know him best from the 2000s band Over It. How's it going, Pete? It's going well. Hello, hello. Hello, one and all. Good to be here. We Should should, should we maybe start with, with the disclaimer around um, <laughs> yeah, this not being our, our first conversation with you, Pete? You um, kindly offered up your time, what, I must probably about four or five months ago now. We had some trouble, well, we spent, what, a good hour and a half, maybe, talking? Yeah, I think it was at least that, yeah. Yeah, and we did, we lost the whole whole recording, so we thought we'd just maybe put things on a simmer. You've kindly agreed to come back and, and speak to us again. So, yeah, thanks thanks for thanks for doing this again, I guess, is <laughs> where we should start off. Thank you two lovely guys for wanting to talk to me twice. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Everyone should be so lucky in life. But it's just, you know, it's one of those things we were proving the age-old point that some things aren't meant to last, even good things. So let's do it again. Let's see. Let's just see what shakes out. Let's do it. And it's really weird. I don't know about you, Nick, but like normally when we do these, like, you know, more often than not, we're talking to someone we haven't met before who we're fans of or whatever. And I always feel a bit nervous. And like... Today I feel quite relaxed because I feel like we're talking to an old friend now. You know? <laughs> ah, you guys, it is it is all good. So how's things with you? Man? Like um, you've had a busy few months. Like I think since we spoke properly last, you you got married this summer, right? I sure did. How was that? Um, it was wonderful. Honestly, I met my wife about five years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Five years ago this month, in fact, we met right around Thanksgiving time in 2014. And uh, she's wonderful. She's not really a musician, but kind of musically inclined in her own way. And uh, we've been 
in and out of a long-distance relationship, which I've always been oh, adept right. at over the years as a musician <laughs> myself. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Weirdly so. Uh, and we moved in together in 2016 in Santa Monica, and she's been really supportive of my audio engineer career here in L.A., and also awesome. very uh, patiently and eagerly spurring me on to do new music projects. So how could I help but fall in love with her hopelessly? And we got <laughs> married in July, and it was awesome. Amazing. So it what, was cool. What, what, kind of, what kind of vibe of wedding did you have, was it? It was a uh, kind of Indian, kind of American wedding. She's, an, she's Indian-American, and North Indian specifically. The, dis- the distinguishing characteristic of North Indians... Uh, they, I guess, is that they party and dance more. But her family is, they're, they're, they're Hindu, and some of them are a very, very, okay. very specific kind of Hindu. And I forget the name. It's like a very small sect. But yeah. they're Hindus, and they, are, uh, they live in Mumbai and Indore, which is near uh, Pakistan in the north. Okay. And so we had okay. a bunch of, of really fun, awesome relatives come from India and... Um, yeah, there. Uh, yeah, it was just a bunch of bunch of merrymaking with with family and friends. That sounds lovely. Did you do like the two ceremony thing? I only asked this just because uh, my, my girlfriend's of Indian background as well, and like you know, when we talk hypothetically about reaching oh, that stage, yes. she said, "Oh, yeah, we do that." <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, since this is going forward for posterity, unless. Unless Shiva should intervene and delete this this audio once more. <laughs> <laughs> Since this is going forward for posterity, let me say that uh, you are wise to consider her family because it might be large and beautiful. Yeah. So take care of her family. And take care of your family, too, especially. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the Indian wedding process is kind of epic, if you guys want to have a, a, or need to have, well, I'll just say that, a large, super Indian wedding, you can go ahead yeah. and have that process go on autopilot virtually overnight if you just go and do it and flip the right switch in India. So that, that could be cool. Um, but we only did, we did uh, two or three events. I say three-ish because the last was just kind of hanging out at, at that house, which we rented for guests to stay. Um, okay. For uh, wh- wh- where where we stayed with guests, kind of our inner circle of friends and family, um, but we did one one uh, ceremony where where uh, my bride Bhavna and friends got uh, henna tattoos. It's it's commonly referred to as the Mendy ceremony, and had yes. Indian food and dancing and and just fun at a cool, really beautiful indoor outdoor venue in Topanga. Here in Los Angeles, and then the second oh, day yeah. we had kind of a more traditional ceremony party with a DJ and some music, and just you know walking down the aisle, me not holding <laughs> nice, back so many tears. <laughs> That's what stands out in my cheesy memory. But yeah, it was really it was really great. I had some awesome friends there. Any any old band band member friends? You still stay in contact with any of those guys? Or? Yeah, for sure. We we uh, had Seth, the bass player of Over It, was there. Oh yeah. And uh, some of my my uh, dearest friends from LA were there too. Sean Harris from the Matches and Fortress Social Club and Saint Ranger and countless other weird projects. Okay. My buddy Johnzo West, who's a, a another counterpart from that world, and uh, a couple others too. It was, it was just cool. Cool. 
Very good. And all of the aunties and uncles were pleased, I think. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, what else have you kind of been up to, I think, since the last time we spoke? So, am I right in saying you were, you were working on a bit of solo solo stuff? Yeah, um, I've been working on some music. Uh, hopefully something that might see the light of day relatively soon. I have a friend out here called Billy Brown. He's a sort of a... He's from Boston originally, and when I met him, he he very soon thereafter uh, took on this role of the punk rock big brother I never really had uh, introducing oh, yeah. me to some cool stuff and he's proven to be a really interesting collaborator and we just we oddly get along really well and like like a lot of the same things even though we sort of come from very disparate backgrounds yeah so I've I've worked on some supporting him with some of his solo performing and writing in since 2012 or so Right. And I think we're going to start a band in the coming year. Uh and I don't want to like reveal the name or too much about it, but it's sort it's it's um it's I think it'll be like a three-piece band. So pretty right. uh elemental and guitar-driven punk rock songs that are cool. sort of jangly and special, hopefully. Huh? How how I mean you say you got a name, how, how long did you spend during the 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 name brainstorming phase? I think this is always a a difficult time for a new band is is This is one of this is one of those situations where the name is driving the band actually. Okay. We have we oh, had right. the name yeah. come appear out of the fog like a vision and we were like we said that's <laughs> awesome and that's also funny but also awesome but also us. So th- this is cool. Let's tell that story and I can't wait to tell more about it. Um we've worked on like a handful of songs, but then a handful of other song ideas for for years now, where we we just sort of set the stage for a project like this to come at the right place and time, and I feel like it's it's soon. Um, that's great. And in addition to that, I've been working on some songs with an old buddy of mine from Maine, um, who was in a band, uh, a label mates of Over It, actually on Negative Progression oh, yeah. Records back in the day called And So It Begins. I don't know if you guys ever heard that band, but they were really cool. Yeah, kind of rings a bell. Yeah, his name's Dan Patterson. He's a really talented uh, bass player, guitar player, songwriter, and also a craftsman. He's a, a fully trained. Uh, a luthier guitar builder and uh, builds custom guitars for a lot of artists that we all love. Oh, right. Yeah, really cool. This is this is more of a, uh, I don't want to say less punk, but it's it's a less, um, less gritty project, I think. More along the lines of um, like a bit more Jimmy Eat World. And sometimes, I don't know if you, do you guys know the band Toad the Wet Sprocket? Yeah, yeah, like 90s, right? Yeah, they're a Santa Barbara band. Uh, right. Sort of like a mid-tempo, like chiming guitar pop, chiming guitar pop rock thing. Yeah, a couple of the songs we've been working on remind me of that, but it's also very much in the Jimmy Eat World folder for me. A lot of big guitars okay. and melody-driven and catchy songs. Uh, so this could be cool. I don't know what that is yet. Um, it's something that that similarly Dan Dan has been pushing on me to to work on for. About a decade, yeah. So that's that's interesting. Um, and other than that, gosh, I was working in this studio with a, um, a really like a 
gifted guitar player whom I look up to, um, who also had a, a relatively successful 90s band recently, and he showed me uh, this drop D, open D acoustic guitar tuning that I'd, I'd heard of before but never actually played with. Uh, and I happened to right. pick up this this ES335 Gibson guitar that was sitting in the studio and strum it and just said, whoa, what is this? And he explained that's what the tuning was. And I, I suddenly felt really inspired and and played with that a bit at home and decided I want to just do an album of songs with that tuning. So I think that'll be my next like personal acoustic guitar-driven uh, project that I'd like to do. Um so yeah, I just I've been in a, a kind of a funky place uh, creatively with music, and I and I actually feel like um, a very strong uh, desire, like a tickle almost, to just like go enjoy doing that, which is awesome. Nice. Oh, do you know I've That's just all I really want boys. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, I don't know if this was an old photo or something, but I happened to, I think it came on Facebook yesterday, like uh, from your Facebook, like you were doing some gang vocals with Cam Cameron Webb or something what was that oh yeah this is it, it may be one of several photos it's sort of it's become a recurring recurring role that I've had with Cameron as a as a member of the uh Pennywise gang vocal uh man gentleman's club or something like that oh right yeah <laughs> hey, every time the the guys do a record with Cam he he summons uh, a very uh eclectic and awesome group of people out of the woodwork <laughs> to go record gang vocals for the Pennywise oh, album I see. Okay. at his studio. So that's that's what we do, uh, and it's awesome. You know, Fletcher is our conductor, and <laughs> we, we rock it out. <laughs> it's, it's really really fun and always great. Is is Fletcher as fun as is his reputation suggests? Fletcher's reputation precedes him, but he's he is a uh, truly lovable. Uh, ripping guitar guy I, I don't know right. that's a really crummy description but if i if i could go back and be in a, a band with a guy like fletcher i i think i would enjoy having that kind of presence around <laughs> right. you know those guys those guys uh continue to uh refine and go back and pull more magic tricks out of the same synergy that has kept them together for decades now it's fantastic yeah they've managed to last quite well haven't they? yeah i mean the, I, honestly the when i i think the first time i saw nick bailey from over it who had become like my my protege and best friend for like the next 20 years he was wearing a yeah. pennywise shirt a green t-shirt in the halls of our middle school in fairfax county virginia <laughs> and i had read the uh, stephen king book and so when, I, when oh, yeah, we finally were, when we finally crossed paths, I had to ask what that shirt was all about. And he said, "Well, here, check out this Walkman and listen to a few things." And the first three tracks on there were, um, "Good Riddance," "No Cigar," "Unwritten Law," um, "Crazy Pout Poe Kids," and um, oh gosh. A Pennywise song from Unknown Road. I can't remember which which one right now, but it was a, it was a, a staggering and like a, a truly life altering um, <laughs> eight minutes of my of my life on that bus ride home. Yeah, and it's and so it, yeah, I learned about Pennywise that day. 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and obviously that sound was like an influence, certainly on the early over it stuff. I'd, I'd say absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The the um, the Southern California crunchy guitar up tempo sound, or like yeah. it was somehow like a deviation from glam rock in a way, or and like metal uh, that involved yeah. skateboards heavily. Somehow yeah. the alchemy of involving skateboards generated all of this this music. The other thing that was on that that first cassette was a band called Big Drill Car from Orange County. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them, but they're fantastic. Uh, they okay, have an yeah, album. Yeah, they have they have one album that was out on uh, Cruise Records out here called Batch B A T C H. It has like this weird claymation character on the on the cover artwork, but okay. that, that was the song. The 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 um. There's a song on on the front of that album called "Takeaway." I think it's the first track, honestly. And after I heard that, I knew exactly like what I would do if I was gonna try to be a singer in a band and like make 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 a sound like a band would make. And that that was, I think, why uh, Nick and I connected so profoundly and stayed friends for so long, worked on so much music together, was chasing that same inspiration, that same spark. Listen to Big Drill Car. Yeah, yeah, check them out. Uh, what, el- what else is going on now? I'm trying to think of other new stuff so that we can move on to another question and I can stop meandering. Well, I guess, no, I guess, I guess it's a, maybe a good <laughs> a good point to maybe go, go back to the start a little bit. And I think yeah. that, that last time we spoke to you is kind of, yeah. um, you know, the kind of introduction in, in the music and, in, in, you know, as part of your youth and growing up in Virginia. And I guess what, what was that like and uh, kind of where did start, things start from there, I guess, really? So, yeah, um... So I I had um, fallen in love with with Nirvana and Green Day around I don't know age thirteen or fourteen and, and discovered some of the Bay Area punk rock music pop punk music um, mm-hmm. on my own. Uh, gosh, I'm not even sure how I heard about Green Day just before they appeared on the radio and changed everyone's life. Uh, that was a teenager at that point and. Uh, was surprised to find that there were bands uh, from from nearby, like Avail down in Richmond, that were like seemed a little bit scarier and like more intense and more uh, and older in a way, but also really cool. And I thought that was exciting. And this this drove me to beg and uh, harass my parents to get me a guitar, which I earned through a series of small jobs and engagements and holidays and negotiations. And so I got a, uh, a Squire Stratocaster in 1993, I think, and okay. started learning uh, every Nirvana song and other, like, Bush and Live and some Led Zeppelin songs um, in a totally undisciplined and unrefined, um, you know, <laughs> just... Uh, Muddling through it as best you can. Yeah, just punk kid kind of manner. Um, looking back, I wish I had, I had trained myself more rigorously on the guitar and, and become really great at it. But it was always sort of a, just a key for translating things I realized I was hearing in my head. And so uh, 
close to this time, I made friends with a dude in art class who was like this straight edge, hardcore guy, but a really nice guy. And he one day admitted yeah. to me that he liked the pop punk music as well. And so we decided to start a band together. And we we actually figured out how to call uh, what to call this band through that um, the process. You guys were lamenting a few minutes back, but our we were always bothered by the the presence of his kid brother, who was like seven or eight years old, who who really wanted to play drums in our band, but really couldn't hold it down yet. Yeah, his name was Joey, and when we finally got him to leave the room for a little while and play on our own, we decided to call the band Joey's Dilemma, and so. <laughs> That band went forward. We actually recorded an entire album, which is lost in the sands of time. There's an ADAT tape out there somewhere, perhaps still in Northern Virginia on the banks of the Potomac somewhere. Where? How old were you at that point? I was 15 when we started this band. Okay. I was I was friends with, with Nick and the guys from Over It. I had, I had met Seth, uh, who would be the bass player in Over It in preschool. We'd, we'd, our parents knew one another um, from working in the medical field. Our moms were both nurses. And we carpooled okay. to preschool together and stuff like that. So we already knew each other really well. Uh, and the, the music thing was just a grand coincidence. But um, Joey's Dilemma played a handful of shows. And somewhere, I think it was between our first and second show, I invited Nick to come see band practice uh, just to hang out. And he had been going through actually a particularly rough time where uh, Over It had already started as a band, by the way. I was a, a footnote in the Over It narrative. Um, the band was started by our right, friend Joe Tennant, who was a, a children's theater uh, protege of mine. A uh, really cool, talented kid. Um, and I didn't even realize he was musically inclined, although I should have made that inference um, from you know being musical children's theater together. But uh, they start. They started a band, sort of uh, in parallel and tandem with Joey's Dilemma, and they they were playing all kinds of shows at the local community centers and people's parties and basements and stuff. Uh, a year or two younger than all of us, and that's. I think it was that summer, that spring of um, nineteen ninety six. Joe, uh, while away visiting family. Uh, fell ill and passed away suddenly of anaphylactic shock. He had like a crazy allergic reaction. And uh, so over it was sort of like dashed to like, yeah, it was really rough. Uh, It was dashed in in this like to pieces in this uh, adolescent, you know, catastrophe. Um, Yeah, so at one point, and Nick was like really uh, broken up about it and didn't want to play guitar or work on music or anything for a long time. And uh, so I tried to, you know, just kind of keep that creative fire burning by bringing him to our band practice, and it worked for the very first time. Uh, he saw Joey's right. Dilemma play and fell completely head over heels in love with our music, started sending our, our tape of one song out to, out to, like, Jade Tree Records and other labels like that. Yeah. No one was interested, but I still think this stuff was great. So was inspired to reignite over it and and Seth joined the band as the singer and bass player filling in where where Joe had left off uh, before okay. uh, Seth had just uh, been their singer and um we went on playing local shows and really enjoying the way that this this little like 
six to ten person uh, and you know burgeoning in our our minds musical community was like a secret club in our you know our Mount Vernon Northern Virginia uh, suburban. So what 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 were those kind of local shows like then? Was it, is it just anything you get a bit of mixture of genres or were they all real kind of kind of you know a, a tight knit group of of bands regular bands you play with? Well, in the beginning, I think it was a really eclectic mix of genres of age groups um just any space you could get get to play in i guess yeah well there was a there was a regularly recurring battle of the bands in fairfax county um that would happen at one of the teen centers and this sort of evolved into um a handful of venues let's call them where there would be regular shows one of them was called the old firehouse in mclean virginia and uh, just to kind of like accelerate the story a little bit, we played local shows all over the place, all kinds of random venues. There were a lot of DC hardcore bands, and then as Over It progressed and started writing our our first EP and album with the, with the knowledge that we could get a record deal with it and actually do it, uh, we started uh, encountering more and more bands of our of our ilk, like pop punk bands or I don't know whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, who, who and, would some of those have been in those days? Um, who we might know now. Wow. <laughs> who might we know now? That's a good question. There was one band that, that we loved called Squirt Gun back then, and I don't think they... I feel like there's an, there might be another band called Squirt Gun that went on to be big. There's this band called the P-Tanks that was, that was around then that I don't think did anything else. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't remember either of them coming across my radar. Yeah. I think the ones with real staying power didn't come for a, another five to ten years. But anyway, Seth got into okay. some trouble yeah. uh, with the local cops for, for uh, vandalizing people's bags of leaves one autumn, and his mom grounded him and forbade him from playing music for like six months. And so <laughs> we ingeniously decided to continue the band with me in it. Uh, because Joey's Dilemma had essentially disbanded. This was my senior year of high school. Okay. Um, so six months from graduation, I joined over it. We wrote songs. We got signed to Negative Progression Records. We recorded the EP, or we released the EP that, had, we, that we had financed ourselves and recorded in Northern Virginia with uh, Kevin131, who had produced the band Goaty Hook on, on Tooth and Nail Records, whom we really, really oh, yeah. liked. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. So the whole thing was very much like MXPX, Slick Shoes, Goaty Hook, Fat Records, Lookout Records, all amalgamated into the mind of the the hive mind of four dudes, you know, ages okay. 15 to 17 in Northern Virginia. And that's what yeah. we did. And we loved doing it. And we thought, wow, we can just like churn out really cool ideas like this. And around this time, um, we were discovering bands like Lifetime and Saves the Day started to get mm-hmm. big. And we made friends with some some bands from up and down the eastern seaboard through the aid of like uh, America Online Instant Messenger, which became like a, a huge uh, proponent of of uh, networking and um, proliferating our our booking potential and just keeping in touch with people that we met out on the road as we started to go out and play outside of D.C. and Virginia. Um, we made friends with with a bunch of bands from Long Island and New Jersey. Uh, 
Humble oh, Beginnings yeah. was was an awesome band who'd come play with us at the the old firehouse in McLean. The Movie Life uh, joined us down there yeah. a few times. It's funny you mentioned Movie Life because we uh, we had um, we had Vinny on our show like right after we spoke to you the first time, and awesome. we were telling I was telling him about what you know the the disaster that had happened and stuff, and he was and, <laughs> and he do you remember Nick? He was just saying he's like oh yeah Peter Munters. He goes I swear. So when they did their reunion tour, when they first sort of came back in 2017, or came yeah. back the second time or whatever, he said that they were playing in, in California, and it, like he, he, he could swear that he saw you down the front at one of the shows. But That guy totally sorry, did just... see me. I was there with my fiancé <laughs> rocking out. That, I love you, Vinny. Thanks for noticing. You rule. I have to say, they, they had a great, great, great show. And um, it just so happened, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but their guitar player was called away for a family emergency or a baby was born. I can't remember right now, but um, I think all was well in the end. But they had Travis Shettle from Piebald filling in. And, oh, really? Uh, no, I didn't yeah, know and, so, and I, I, you know, over it played with Piebald, I think, once or twice. But yeah. they're always kind of a little bit bigger than us. We never really made friends with them, like really, really close friends. But I happened yeah. to reconnect with him through Billy Brown, another Bostonian, after meeting Billy out okay. here. And Travis and I became buddies, and uh, we played together a little bit, too. So I was really excited to just go and see him play with the movie Life, and the show was great. Oh, that's very cool. And I also just want to say that that last movie Life record that came out was awesome, and I really enjoyed it. The tw- 2017 one. I don't think I ever really yeah. visited it properly. Did you, Nick? Yeah, yeah, no, I know I enjoyed it. It's quite I good. It. And he's okay. he's do, he's he's just released a, a, a another solo, new one, yeah. Yeah, I think he's coming over to the UK actually in in the US. He, so. That's very yeah, cool. he's he he's yeah. he's over next month actually. Yeah, that's a good point. He's, he's yeah, he's very well. Him and the movie life and I on the Avalanche were very. Um, I think they had a he's well they got a real good connection over here in the UK. They really uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, they can always rely. I think they can like rely on a good. Good turnout when when they get out get over here. Yeah, yeah and true. I I should um, seems like I should uh, try and make better friends with Vinny if he noticed me at the show. I feel so special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, the movie life was was fantastic. We brought them down to play with us and like, yeah, uh, this was I think 1999. Right. Okay. Okay. But yeah, there was a lot of great music happening on the East Coast at that point in time. And so at what at what point did at what point did it did it start to kind of grow outside of the East Coast and I well, guess over to where you are now? Seth at Negative Progression encouraged us uh, and supported us in in um, getting some expanding our our touring territory and getting out to the West Coast and we made friends with uh, some other bands out here uh, in the Midwest and then onward. Um, First, first example that springs to mind is a band called Near Miss from Texas. It was actually a, the the offshoot or the the new project um, that Jeremy Hernandez from um, Humble Beginnings in South Jersey oh, right. had started. Uh, he moved to Austin, so we we toured with those guys a lot, um, and uh, much the same from Chicago was another became another kind of brother band of ours. Uh, yeah, and uh, gosh, there 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 were a lot at that time. Um, but we 
had uh, at that point kindled a, a sort of love affair over Instant Messenger with the guys at Lobster Records because we were obsessed with bands right. like Mock Orange and Whippersnapper and uh, um, just a, a few others that were really great, including Staring Back, who was like a kind of a new yeah. a new artist that was that we felt was yeah, a similar lane musically that over it was, and. Um, so we made it a goal to get out here, and we got on shows, got shows with Staring Back, and did like a, I think a month long tour with them. It was our first time ever in the the Western United States, um, New Mexico and Arizona and Western Texas, and then California. Mm-hmm. We appeared here. That was uh, the the sort of transitional arc between realizing that we were going to have to tell our parents that we wanted to ditch school so we could. You know, get the funding to make another record and keep going on tour. Yeah, and uh, and getting and ending our relationship with uh, the label in Boston. So that's what we did. We we had started writing music, and um, we connected with Cameron Webb out here. And the first time I met Cameron, he was wearing a big drill car hoodie, and I knew then and there that <laughs> it was that absolutely had to happen and was going to work. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve from Lobster Records convinced us to to move out here. We moved to Ventura County, and what age are you at this point? We were, uh, let's see, I was nineteen. Uh, no, no, I think yeah. I was twenty. I think I was twenty. All right, okay. Uh, going on twenty-one. I think James, our drummer, was was maybe nineteen. Okay, I think t- maybe still eighteen. <laughs> And um, we moved out here and, uh, yeah, just uh, started over. We lost all of our money taking care of our damn van when the transmission broke. But uh, we were ex- really excited about the record that we had made uh, with Cameron. Um, timing is everything, and people Timing's seem to like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just started networking really heavily with, with bands out here and, like, all kinds of local uh, booking agents in every little pocket yeah. of Southern California. And uh, one of the crazy things that happened out here was um, <laughs> that Steve had, had encouraged us to follow in the steps, uh, Steve from Lobster Records, had encouraged us to follow in the steps of Yellow Card uh, as a prototype for our, our career, quote-unquote. Um, they had you know built up their little fan base in Jacksonville made a record that yeah. that garnered his attention and then moved out here and built a really cool fan base in, in Thousand Oaks that eventually would get them signed to Capitol Records and propel them onto stupor, uh, stupor, yeah, superstardom. Uh, and so we did that and we made, we made really good friends with those guys and they were really gracious and allowed us to play with shows with them and and were very, very supportive of us from the, basically the moment that we showed up here. It was super cool. On the on the subject of them, like uh, I'm sorry, I'm curious. I have to get your take on this. You know, you know their their whole thing with with, with this rapper in the last few weeks. Did you, did you did you catch that story? I did, and I haven't seen what's shaken out uh, since they uh, they sounded the legal alarms. What's going on? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had an update from there, but yeah. Did you <laughs> did you listen to the? It's quite a it's quite a significant amount of money that they're. they're uh... It sure yeah, is. It sure it's is. Crazy, my my yeah. humble my humble reaction on first listen was, gee whiz, I can't stand that song. I don't really don't want to listen to it again. And um, 
I guess I can kind of hear it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. It's, I'd, like, I'd have it's to, like the melody in there. Yeah, agreed. It's kind of a hint of the melody. The tempo feels very different, and the groove feels very different. I don't know. I'd have to really like take a take a crack at it with my musicologist's cap on and and uh, and figure out how I feel. I wonder. I wonder who's actually driving that though. In terms of like, is it is it band members? Is it you know labels? Is it you know like who's actually decided the right this is something we want to we want to pursue you know i really don't know Mm. that's a good question i mean i I know ryan (laughs) Ryan he has been very busy playing music with other bands and and for himself and and on tour it's like yeah he seems pretty full-time with newfound glory now yeah and and doing uh new stuff as well so yeah i've heard i've heard some cool stuff that's behind sort of Maybe forthcoming. I who even knows. Yeah. So over it, over it, left behind their their um, their burgeoning past in the from the teen centers of of Northern Virginia, which started to be quite kind of a big deal for us. I mean, um, yeah. we didn't really take our music seriously. We just really thought we were having our secret hideout fun times for a few years, and then all of a sudden, we decided that I think we just entertained the possibility. Uh, like, what if people really did care about this music and yeah suddenly you know within that same year we had like 400 500 people selling out the the teen center off of route 50 in fairfax county and uh the you know the guys at lobster records encouraging us to come on out come move and drop everything and go for it and really cool things will happen we we believe it and sure enough, they did. And one of the weird and really cool things that happened was Yellow Card got signed to Capitol Records. And when they embarked on mm-hmm. their first tour, uh, Ryan in, uh, Ryan Key, the singer, sustained an injury uh, teaching Sean, the violinist, how to fight um, <laughs> uh, one night. Or vice versa. I'm sorry. Sean was teaching Ryan how to fight at Ryan's uh, behest. And he broke Ryan's jaw. Uh, causing Ryan to be unable to sing for six weeks and have his face wired shut so that he could heal properly. So they called me and asked if I would please consider stepping in to play guitar and sing for Yellow Card on a major U.S. tour with Lagwagon and the Ataris. That's amazing. Uh, it's it's pretty mad, though, to ask you to replace a front man of a band, though, you know, that like this... people come to, I guess, see <laughs> see that kind of... Not only that, this was their first major tour with a major tour budget coming from Capital Capital Records. I, I, I mean, I believe like, there, that's a lot on your shoulders. <laughs> I believe there's over a hundred thousand dollars spent on financing this tour easily. Um, you know, and for a, yeah, for a band that's right. about to graduate to that intermediate stage and see if their music really sticks to the wall commercially, that's a very significant move. Um, which is also why they decided that because of the momentum they felt from their fans that they should go ahead and and push through it. So we did and I got to go out and hang out with uh with my idols for 6 weeks. Um and it was a great networking opportunity for over it as well because I was just slinging timing is everything albums in every direction um, right, right. giving them giving them to every person I met and uh, you know who asked who the heck are you dude what what what's going on here? <laughs> um and uh, I got to go to Japan during that time with them and meet our, our wow. Japanese record label, who was an affiliate of Steve from, from uh, Lobster Records. And we continued uh, to 
a really a fruitful relationship with uh, with Moto from Big Mouth um, in Japan. Moto and Mia, his partner. And uh, I'll never forget the first time I got to the the uh, the train station at Narita Airport, walking myself through the airport in Japan, having arrived after you know twelve hour flight. Um, I ran into my I found my friend Daisuke who who was uh, my my helper getting to uh, downtown to the Tower Records to play. Um, yeah. Uh, coincidentally, he also had a really cool band slash has I think still a band called Valve Drive, which is awesome, and he also plays guitar for MXPX when they go to go on tour there. Oh, when they go over um, there. Oh, nice. Yeah, so rad, so cool. And um, we got on the train, and he was so kind and like gentle with me, and kind of warned me like this is gonna be kind of nuts, dude. And I got out, I got, literally got out. We switched trains, <clears throat> and there was a small group of people waiting there with Over It albums on the platform at some random stop in in Tokyo. Uh, you know, not like a crazy mob scene, but they were like, oh, there he is. Great. This is great. <laughs> and I thought, wow, cool, weird. This is great. Hi. Um, <laughs> so we went right away and played shows with, played a show with Yellow Card in the basement of the, the um, skyscraper uh, Tower Records in Shibuya. And all was well. And they uh, returned the favor so wholeheartedly uh, with their, by sharing their success with Over It. They took us on several national tours, and we went back to Japan with them. And So do you think they, they were a big factor in, in, in the rise? To, you know, because there was a bit of a rise, wasn't there, in that leading up to uh, Silver Strand? I'd, I'd like to think so. But at the same time... Um, it's a weird thing when you're supporting a band that has really uh, a meteoric rise of their own. You're really almost just, you know, window trimming, just a, like some extra decoration. Um, uh, it's not to take, I don't say that to take anything away from an opening act on a tour, but um, yeah. I feel, I want to, I think I'm really stressing that it was on us to like really do a cool show. Uh, do justice to Yellow Card as a really great band because that's what they are, um, and and do justice to our friends in the band who are also really great musicians as real as well as really mm-hmm. great great friends, um, and uh, hope that we get the opportunity to share our music with someone new because of it. So that's really what it is. It's like this chance to go in and do the work. Yeah, and that's that's what we try to do. I, I was just gonna say what what were some of your favorite tours in these years leading up to silver strand just wanted to like reference again I, I think we talked about this last time but like i was lucky enough to see you guys i think twice in that run-up but one of my favorite ones was uh san francisco with i think alistair never heard of it if you remember that tour that was a wonderful tour so <laughs> fun <laughs> um gosh and that's really cool because um one character from that landscape of friends has has oh, yeah. uh, continued to be a very close friend of mine, Elmo Lovano. He was the drummer. I've never heard of it at that time. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really cool dude. Incredibly talented. Super charismatic guy. Really great friend of mine. And he's uh, in the last. He he spent like the last ten years or more developing an entrepreneurial venture, a software-based entrepreneurial venture. It's an app, a, a user interface mm-hmm. called Jam Card for professional musicians. And um, I'm very proud to have been among the first couple thousand users on this thing. But I also designed the sound effects for it. I think they're still in there. 
which is a huge honor and really cool. fun. Um, but it's it's uh, become kind of a big deal, um, especially around Ho- Hollywood, Nashville, and New York City. Um, but essentially, it's uh, a software environment where professional musicians and professional music types can connect, interact, share what they're doing, uh, and just, I don't know, like, be be open with one another about the professional experience in music and not just uh, hyping up their art or networking with fans or doing their marketing and publicity and social media. So it's like this great engine that harnesses the power of social media for musicians and music professionals, which is awesome. Um, and so, yeah, Elmo's the best. And I'm, it's, I've been really excited to see his, his uh, success there. Uh, another memory that springs right to the front of my imagination from that tour uh, is just being with Alistair. They're, they're a fantastic band. They were so good live, <laughs> yeah. so fun, yeah. so entertaining, and sounded so good. But they, one morning, um, after we played in Portland, uh, Oregon. Oh, yeah, this is the, the Hawthor- Hawthorne story. Yeah, no, I remember this. <laughs> Go on, though. I love this. We, um, so, yeah, we played the Hawthorne Theater, and they, they uh, asked that um, we meet early the following morning before our departure <laughs> at, uh, at a, at a dress uh, for breakfast. And so we got there. It was like in this warehouse district of Portland, kind of a seedy-looking area, and found ourselves at a gentleman's club where there was a breakfast buffet. And so we we ate breakfast with all these naked ladies dancing at like 8 o'clock in the morning or even earlier. Maybe it was like 7. And, uh, you know, just laughing hysterically with the guys from Alistair. I'll never forget it. It was one of those amazingly ironic like punk rock things. Like, Why? The quality of the breakfast was good. The breakfast was excellent. <laughs> well, that's what that's what counts, isn't it? Uh, the eggs were were fluffy <laughs> um, and hot, <laughs> and uh, it, so much uh, it, hot enough and fluffy enough to overcome the irony of eating them as uh, um, a lady's parts are inches from your face, gyrating. Right. <laughs> it's strange. <laughs> But it was cool and funny and the, and very uh, you know indicative of those guys. What had you asked me? What show? What shows specifically jump out in my memory from that time? Uh, oh, just just which 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 tours I suppose. And I think I think the other one I saw you on in San Francisco again. And who are you with? I think it was Spitalfield and Academy Ears. They were definitely because they were blowing up at that time. Oh yeah, so that Slims was a great that one. time in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, that was after that was um. Was that just after Silverstrand came out, actually? I think that was well after Silverstrand. Um, oh, okay. So we, when we were writing Silverstrand, we wrote half of Silverstrand. Oh, no, we, we did, did Silverstrand, and then we toured for like a year straight. And it was Warp Tour and with Yellow Card and May. Uh, those were both extensive runs. Yeah. And then in the fall, we went out with Rufio and MXPX and Reliant K for like, I don't know, eight or that, ten weeks. That's a great like lineup. One of the longest. Oh my gosh, it was. This was the tour I wanted to mention a moment ago. It was so fun. Yeah. Uh, really wonderful range of of um, theater sized venues, like five hundred to like just over a thousand people. Yeah. And just like great iconic bands. 
Um, such sure. such a great time. And uh, we learned a lot from from that tour because we made friends with uh, MXBX's crew and their and the sound crew in particular, who eventually ended up taking care of us and doing our front of house, which was really cool because it was the first time that happened for us and gave us this great technical insight. And I think that really raised our game, um, performing and sounding good on stage and learning a little bit more about what what that required. There was one point on that tour. Um, we had played uh, the Rave Eagles Club in Milwaukee, and Mike Herrera was falling ill. He had the flu or something and couldn't sing all that well or, or was starting to realize that he was not going to be able to sing that well. And um, their tour manager had the fantastic idea to uh, stitch it together, you know, have like a couple of guys waiting in the wings to like back him up on certain songs. So... Uh, he asked me about it, and I was like, "Oh well, I'll sing. I'll sing middle name if he if he wants support on that." <laughs> Mike was like, "Perfect, that's great. You just come out and do that. It'll give me like a great five minute break, and it'll be really fun." <laughs> uh, so I did that a couple times. It was like crazy, and awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I sang. I got to come out and sing that in St. Louis, and where else? Texas, Dallas, Texas, or something like that. Really cool. Another fun, nice. another fun memory. Oh, what? No, let's like, go on, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say that kind of that Mike Carrera relationship kind of eventually turned into a bit of a collaboration for you as well. He it came did. and sang, sang on one of your records. Right? It did, it did. Um, so after we we did that tour, we went home and we we were uh, playing like random scattered events and and small tours and doing the Southern California thing a little bit more, and we moved to Huntington Beach, so we were kind of reestablishing home base there, and uh, which was wonderful, and working on new tunes. So we, we reconnected with Mike Green, who uh, took us in and uh, let me live in his warehouse when we, we wrote and, and made, so ended up making Silver Strand and helped us through the transition, yeah. getting out of our deal with Lobster Records. And um, so we were free agents, and we'd, we made our next record, and we wrote half of it. Uh, which was about 12 songs, and uh, went back out on tour with Rufio. But after that tour, we went back and finished the album, and uh, our near the end of that tour, we uh, played in New York City, and a friend of ours who uh, had been tour managing a band from Georgia called the Sloppy Meat Eaters, if you've ever heard of them. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a random, yeah, a random band that. from the mp3.com uh, Ascendancy yeah. Days, yeah. which also really like sparked Rufio's career. He, uh, named Don Rohr had taken a gig working at Virgin Records, and he he got over it signed, got the guys from Virgin Records out to see our shows with MXPX um, and Rufio. Awesome. And um, and then a few months later, uh, got a, had us back out to New York City, and we got signed. Uh, so we went and finished our our record with Mike Green um, in LA, and then uh, went right out on Warp Tour for like eight weeks. I think that was actually my favorite tour that Over It ever did. It was absolutely grueling. Um, but some of the shows were just phenomenal. We got to play the main stage a few times. and uh, Nice. I don't think I've ever lost more weight in one day than the morning we found out at 7 a.m. that we were the opening band on the main stage. Uh, did I mention it was Miami? I think so. So it was like already 100 degrees and like 100 
50% humidity at, at 7.15 when we started loading in Ooh, <laughs> and changing, yeah. adjusting the trajectory of our usual load in from the Volcom stage to the main stage, which involved getting across, you know, rolling hills of um, uh, Floridian sawgrass in this balmy uh, morning sun that was starting to come through the palm trees and just melt us. And uh, the the memory that stands out, uh, apart from the freaking amazing show uh, with like 10,000 people at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, was the, the way I, I wrung my pants, was wringing my, my pajama pants out when I got to the stage uh, before we went to lift Seth's bass head amp onto the, the ramp to go on stage. And I just kind of like oh. twisted my pajamas and water just poured out of them. <laughs> it was Not weird and gross and awesome. I guess let's talk a little bit about Step Outside Yourself and I guess that relationship with, well, your first kind of relationship with the, with the major label. Because, I mean, it was yeah. I mean it was reasonably, I guess, short, short-lived. I mean, how long were you with Virgin for? for it, was extremely, it was extremely short-lived. I think our whole agreement w- was like under a year. Um, it all happened very fast once it happened and we were creatively very free. Um, they encouraged us to, to do our thing. They really liked what we were doing. And they, while they admitted that they didn't know what to do with us, like at that crossover onto pop radio level, um, yeah, they they were very supportive, and they liked our songs, and they liked our show, and um, we liked our management. Um, we joined forces with uh, the the same managers who worked for uh, All American Rejects, Green Day, and Weezer. And we actually we did a oh, bunch wow, of touring okay. as well with the Rejects, and really fell in love with those with being with those guys on the road. They okay. they were great companions, and um, even though they were younger than us, really great role models on um, how to be right because they'd already blown up by then, hadn't they? Not even it wasn't even about blowing up necessarily, but how to be fantastic live. Um, okay. Gosh, Nick Wheeler is such a good guitar player and great. great guitar player live and their shows were always just really like easy feeling and and loose but very like just like solid and really like accessible but excellent musicianship and i just i felt like i really tuned into that watching them and and loved hanging out with them too so they're another band that i'd like to shout out those are great touring companions and over it um yeah, but uh, one one really cool thing, uh, which which led us down this path uh, in this chapter that that Virgin Records did was um, push that Mike Herrera collaboration through. Uh, they heard this song "Dishonored Disorder" that we we had written, and um, I thought it sounded really awesome. And yeah. I, it was just it just stacked with harmonies. We we felt like there were two approaches to singing harmonies in the studio um, with Mike. Um, there's like the Smashing Pumpkins approach where there are almost no harmonies in a song, and there's the Aerosmith approach where you just put as many harmonies and then some, and then if you're just really disgusted, you can take something away. But the song was already stacked with harmonies, and Don, our our A&R guy at Virgin, had the bright idea to call Mike Herrera and be like, and say, Mike, will you, will you, uh, color this song with with your MXPX crayon in our, you know, and and be in our band on this song and do us that honor and Mike was all about it and uh, recorded the thing on his own and sent it back perfect and that's the end of the story there it's just really cool and it's if you load the song on Spotify you see it and it's cool so uh, 
yeah, let's get into kind of the you know kind of how things simmered down for you guys then at this point and um, yeah, I mean, kind of talk tell us a little bit. Basically, that, basically, not a, a lot um, happened um, after that. Uh, internally, things were really cooking for us. We were playing a lot. We were playing more shows than ever. Uh, we did that tour with Spitalfield and the Academy is, I think, at this time. Or or we yeah. did another one. Uh, the Spitalfield one, I think, was like in that interim period before Step Outside Yourself, maybe. And it then was. We yeah, it was, la- it was late 05. Yeah. And then we did more touring with them after the Warp Tour and stuff in 06. And... Uh, Around that time, a new band um, appeared from the East Coast that, whom we had met years before in another format, or member, members of which we had met, uh, we had met years before. Um, and they were called Boys Like Girls, and they, they uh, had a big deal behind them. Um, mm-hmm. they, we went on tour with them, and they became good friends. And uh, through our management, we were we were uh, able to go on tour with the Goo Goo Dolls as their opening act, which uh, yeah, was sort yeah, of I remember that. In a way, that decision was kind of a, a death knell. They were one of the early signs of our the deteriorating relationship with Virgin Records for over it because okay. they felt it's it was like a mis- didn't get didn't really get you. <laughs> well, they thought it was a mis a misbranding of our band. They didn't. They thought Goo Goo Dolls at that point were far too poppy for us to resonate with their audience. And um, the funny thing was that while the record wasn't uh, moving units at all in stores or in in, in in any of their normal distribution chains, or through any of their usual distribution pathways, we were pushing like hundreds of records a night legitimately. Um, so they couldn't really complain, and in, in the end, oh, they right, regretted okay. uh, resisting our choice. But um, we did that that tour, and it was so fun. Um, and then a few other tours, and and somehow, uh, and this brought us to the winter of two thousand seven, somewhere in like February. And uh, we got a call from Don one day, and he just sounded really upset, and was, and had to just deliver the news that the the regime was shifting and that everyone was going to be cleared out from Virgin. He couldn't say what was going to happen to us, but Mm. that the certainty was that we'd be stuck in contractual limbo. Um, So he encouraged us to be clever and apologized for everything and, you know, assured us he loved us, which he really did and, and, you know, has continued to be um, a good friend and a great advocate for the whole music scene. Um, We continued kind of on our own. That was our, our gut, uh, and our booking agent dropped us, and we wrote songs, and I hear a question coming. <laughs> well, I guess my question was kind of how long, like, how long kind of did you keep going for after that point then, because... Um, we returned. I guess you're pretty exhausted from touring and, and whatever. Well, honestly, no. We were, we were ready to rock yeah. because right. we, had a, we had what we still felt was a brand new, viable, awesome album. Um, mm-hmm. and we were dismayed and starting to feel this conflict of like, I, well, did we not play the game hard enough or cleverly enough? Were we not commercial enough? Like they we kind of re-motivated you a little bit. We were supposed to, we thought we were supposed to just like jump from our point of truth together and just be, be, uh, furious and fun and, and original and, and let that work because enough people seem to really vibrate on that on that frequency with us and uh it was discouraging but um we went home and just decided to do another album um and just write and play 
And so we did okay. that, and we did like random random shows and college shows to pay the bills, um, and got clever with our our resources, as, still as over it to try and endure through this transition, whatever it would end up being. And eventually, we got out of our record deal uh, with almost no strings attached. We're forgiven the debts that that uh, we owed EMI, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they still own the the rights to step outside yourself, which is, I guess, fine. Um, I don't know. I guess if enough people ever ever liked those records enough to want to license the rights to repress them, they could talk right. to to uh, Steve at Lobster or whomever at Universal now holds the the rights to the Virgin catalog from that time period. That'd be kind of neat if we ever did a reunion. Um, okay. And yeah. we've talked we, we've talked a little bit about about doing new songs in the last year or so. So that that could really? happen, I guess. Okay. Um, okay. I wonder. I think if memory serves correctly, we were home by the summer of 2007, back in Huntington Beach, um, working on yeah. new music, and deciding to uh, just go ahead and start a new band. And yeah. um, uh, before we began touring for Step Outside Yourself, we brought on a new band member, our our friend Ryan, Ryan Ingrid, right? who's the singer. Yeah, yeah he's the singer of a band called Don't Look Down from Vineland, New yeah. Jersey, who had been a, like a really dear friend band to over it. We played hundreds of shows together, I think, all over the country too. And they did they did pretty well for themselves as well. They got signed to um, Nitro Records uh, with Rufio and and Body Jar and other awesome acts. Uh, yeah. Dexter yeah. Holland from the Offsprings label out here in Huntington Beach. Of course, yeah. And. Um, Ryan was just a fantastic addition to our band, like a secret weapon. God uh, just could play all the guitar parts and write new ones and sing any harmony and blended really well with me and felt really great. And we all loved him. And so it was a natural uh, uh, evolution of our band to add him in. And we figured, we decided, mm-hmm. we started writing with him at this point. And we're like, well, let's just like start a different thing. Um, so we reconfigured and, and did some songs. And a few of the songs caught the attention of uh, of the guys at Hurley, the clothing company, who had um, endeavored in a in some musical joint ventures with Warner Brothers and other companies. And uh, we almost did a record with them that that still had me as the lead singer, but that went sideways. Oh, yeah. And as we continued on, we start we ended up doing this shift where the guys sort of unanimously wanted Ryan to emerge as the lead singer to help like really yeah. redefine that this was a different band. And, I think uh, I think if I remember correctly, last time you were saying that you weren't hundred percent comfortable with that at the time. Is that is that right? I was one hundred percent uncomfortable with it because I still wanted us to have our shot. Uh, yeah. While still really wanting to be a team player and, and really liking the music that we were making. Uh, and this was also the time when we were all taking it upon ourselves to uh, begin to dabble in the recording arts and the the music production process as well, because the technology was starting to become really accessible. Yeah, so we made we made Runner Runner in this period, and that was uh, that sort of reset the whole clock for us, um, yeah. and gave us another really big swing at the fences, another shot at. Um, taking a band all the way as it were yeah of course because there was even like david letterman being involved or something wasn't there at some point some label yeah that was... was the uh the long and short of it was like between between 2008 and uh 2012 um yeah. we wrote uh you know a couple hundred songs and 
12 of them became a record that became a joint venture between David Letterman's company, Worldwide Pants and Capital Records. And we went through the Excellent. EMI food chain again, this time with a tremendous push. And we, we toured hard with a bunch of really cool artists for, yeah. for about two years. Well, there was that, um, like you did the Good Charlotte Yellow Card Tour. I remember, I think we talked about that last time. Played a bunch uh, with them. Did a lot yeah. of like radio um, festival touring and um, a lot of writing with other artists and uh, yeah but still still of over all these years you never made it made it to the uk <laughs> what, what, what i have no there? idea uh it's funny but i mean we like you know we were talking me and chris were talking about this you know you, i guess the records here that you obviously they definitely made it over here you know we you know we were big fans of you know Sil- well, i think silver standard was probably the first one that hit me over yeah and um obviously step out your size you know we talked about um the emergent uh pop punk uh scene outside of washington dc and there's a band that they came very much in our wake called all time low who as far as i understand is just enormous in the uk <laughs> yeah uh, and they, i was yeah always, they really are yeah i was always so jealous and so and also so happy for them that they they had that huge success um, right and i think if we had if we had endured even just a little bit longer because they were really they're really kind of over it and run runner as well they'd always bring us on their tours and and random shows uh, when they'd have a cancellation and our tour cross paths with theirs and holiday oh, events yeah. that, that they'd bring us on in, at home in D.C. that were always just huge for us. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why uh, Negative Progression and Lobster Records or our booking agents were never able to push that U.K. opportunity through for us. Um, there were a few, there were a handful of times where it was like, oh my god, this is really about to happen. Some intrepid individual is about to finance this tour, and then the booking yeah. went completely sideways, or like we oh, just didn't trust right. enough, or uh, you know. So did you make it? Did you make it far out? Of, I guess Japan. Maybe you must have toured. We went Japan, to Japan right? five different times, and it was amazing. So fun. Where where else then outside of kind of U.S. We Canada, were did you... brought to Mexico by uh, friends. Okay down there bands down there did like real like super awesome punk rock shows down there it was amazing i have like a photographic memory of of uh being sweaty as hell in a church in guadalajara with just kids hanging off the rafters and stuff playing (laughs) playing over it songs um yeah wow that was cool that was i think 2004 we were writing we were like just we were getting set, settled in uh we were we were well settled in Ventura County and I think writing the first songs from Silver Strand. They were starting to come out at that point. I think we we right. had just written the song Waiting and we played that in, in uh, Mexico. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Great chorus. <laughs> Thanks, man. I always kinda not not that I want to just sit here and criticize your music, which I love, but I feel I like I would I would what Whenever I hear that song, you know, still comes on my shuffle or whatever, or if I sure. seek out a bit of a over it session, I, always, I, I wish it. I wish it went back for a third chorus because I feel like that. That you know, when it gets to the that big chorus, you only do it twice in that song, and that always frustrated me. Wow, wait, because isn't there a uh, is it? There's like a like quiet a pre- breakdown part, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's the bit when you're actually when you say waiting. Can we can we say all these things? There's no chorus after that? 
Pete, can you just go back and record a third <laughs> chorus for Christmas? Did you, <laughs> did you guys ever get the acoustic version? Was there a third chorus in the acoustic version? I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember hearing the acoustic version, you know? Oh, you guys got to hear that. It's excellent. He's going to go away and record it really quick. <laughs> so we, we recorded... Like, Here's the acoustic we version. We recorded Waiting twice. One time, and the first the time we wrote it was for um, a split... EP we did with our our buddy Stole Your Woman, another awesome and like best friend band of ours from Southern California, from like right when yeah, we first I remember met them. Yeah, really cool guys. And I got to like do some like producing on on their album later on with Cameron, which was really fucking fun. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Um, gosh, what were we just talking about? Sorry, I just time warped to working on Stole Your Woman. Oh no, it's songs. okay. <laughs> like, what, uh, what, you, where was I going with that? Uh, well, oh, yeah, it was waiting, waiting. To the song waiting, waiting, yeah. waiting, waiting. So we, we we did a split release. It was Ben from Yellow Card, the guy, former guitar player's record label, Takeover Records. And oh, yes, uh, yeah. we, we recorded yeah. Waiting and a song called City Lights and this other, something else. And the song Any Day Now, uh, which I think ended up on Silver Strand or as a B-side on Silver Strand. But um, we released the three, like, uh, version A versions of those songs on that and an out in the outtakes we just like randomly recorded like this really slow sultry like intimate soft version of waiting uh with kind of okay. a different vibe on it um should be floating around the internet for sure otherwise I'll definitely send it I'll to s- you guys I'll seek that out definitely and it might have a third chorus but I'm blanking right <laughs> now if I'm honest Nick um, do, you, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about um uh, it's been a long time I'm not sure I mean, I'm not going to sit sit here and criticize Pete's you know songs, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd love to make another record of that of that ilk. I don't even know. Who knows what that style was? Some part of me feels like, some part of me feels like profoundly divided about over it because I felt like part of why over it was kind of obscure was because we had sort of an identity crisis musically, but part mm-hmm. of what but all of what made that whole process exciting was just that. It was, like, safe to experiment there. And I think that's what, like, that's what makes me maintain the belief that it was a punk rock effort because it was very much about, like, learning some, learning to do something really well that we really felt good about doing and that really excited us yeah. and we felt rebellious about, but we also felt positive about. And, yeah... It's just such a legitimate um, and earnest choice every time, even when we tried to, like, make our songwriting tighter or more accessible or more memorable. People or like, change the tempo. People worried a lot about, like, like, when can we hear more fast songs? Oh, my goodness. And, like, okay, like, sure, that's great. Like, we want to hear more fast songs, too, but we have this other idea, and we re- we're going to indulge this idea. We're not doing it. For commercial gain per se, or to impress this, impress this or that yeah, person, yeah. and I, I, I think that's that holds true. Like I don't, I don't hear a band trying to like fit a certain mold. I hear a band trying to find itself in those, in all yeah, of those I, songs. I think that, I think that's fair. P, we don't want to keep too much of your time again, so I don't know. No, uh, how long have I been rambling? And... Um, let's say that we're gonna do a second podcast. Um, yeah. In the next year, and uh, sure. there's gonna be new music involved in that in that podcast or it will be in celebration of new music for sure uh and the lost third chorus of waiting is going to be a component of that podcast (laughs) did you guys want to is there anything i didn't address i know i kind of just rambled this whole time no no it was less of a conversation than i would have hoped 
Nick, unless you can think of anything, I thought what might be fun to do is like, you know, we did the quick fire round last time. I reckon we could ask those same questions, but before Peter Please answers, do. like Nick and I will try and remember what you said and you can tell us if we were right or not. And then, Oh, that's hilarious. I love it. And then I can, I can add to it if I want to. Yeah. And you can change your mind or whatever. And then we've just got a couple of listener questions, which we asked you last time. So I think we'd yes, finish with those. Let's so do Nick, it. if you're down there, um, like you, you can see the quick fire, Nick, with your name and my name next to them. So I guess ask him the question, say what you think the answer is, and then we'll, we'll see how close we get. Okay, so the first one was from me last time, and we asked you, Virginia or California? I think you said California. I could be wrong, but correct me if I'm, if I am. Virginia Fornia. <laughs> I I am homesick. And I love this place, but it freaks me out. I mean, they're like fires emerging all the time. Yeah, that is, that is scary. What, what, what do you miss most about Virginia? Humidity. Apart from like Humidity, family. fireflies, family, riding my bike home from band practice. Damn. Cool. Next one is independent or major label. Ha. Have, you guys heard of, have you guys heard of the band Wolfpack? It's kind of like a hippie oh, jam band. They're really cool, like sort of electronic pop, pop rock band. Uh, they just sold out Madison Square Garden. They have multiple agents, but no label and no manager. So fucking label this if you can, dude. Or do your own if you want an art project. But don't lose your mind. We've got Rufio or Don't Look Down. I'm pretty sure it was Rufio. It's definitely Rufio for me. Come on, I'm in Rufio. I, have to be, I, I forgot to talk about being in Rufio, but I am in Rufio. I've been in Rufio. Some people in Brazil will remember me as the singer of Rufio, but Rufio. Oh, what, you filled in for them as well, did you? I did. We'll have to save that for another story, another yeah, time. Yeah, we'll save that for next time, for sure. Next, oh, so the next one was Yellow Card or Good Charlotte, and I remember you umming and ahhing, but I think you went with Good Charlotte in the end. Gosh, I kind of think I do go with Good Charlotte in the end. I love Good Charlotte. Yeah, so well, do we. It's, so do it's we. sort of an apples and oranges, but like the more I think about it, the more I, my thoughts lean in this... Like, uh, really humble recognition of their career. Like, I like all of their stuff yeah. from their whole career. I really do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I like them. They're, they're, they're underrated in many ways. They get pi- they get pigeonholed. They get pigeonholed at a certain echelon of, of ability, I think. And it's foolish because they're rad. Yeah, they really are. No, we definitely, we want, <laughs> we're trying to get Ben or Joe on at some point. We did speak to their brother, Josh, who was cool. Oh, dude, Josh is delightful. Anyway. Yeah, he was if, lovely, man. if you talk to Benji or Joel, tell them that I would gladly participate in their podcast. Offer me <laughs> as a carrot. You can dangle me as a carrot for them and see if that helps bite. Help get the bite. Okay, we um, might well try that. <laughs> yeah, tell Joel I'll sing him something. I'll sing him the last chorus of waiting. If he, uh, he's a timing is he's a timing is everything guy. So like it might oh, it might be like things you never knew existed that he needs to hear. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, we've got David Letterman or Jimmy Kimmel. I'm Come on. Sure. I, I this is an obvious no, Dave no. Letterman all the way. No yeah. no disrespect to Jimmy. Gotta love Jimmy Kimmel too, but Uncle Dave. Have you seen his beard lately, by the way? My God, what a stylish yeah, crazy, dude. crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The wild, the wild man of Montana. Uh, then we've got Silver Strand or Step Outside Yourself. I reckon you would have said Step Outside Yourself. I don't know. I got to play cooler guitars on Silver Strand. Which is where my heart is right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now this is ringing the bell. Yeah. One day we, we rented a 1965 12 string Rickenbacker 360. Uh, 
and uh, this like beautiful early '90s Matchless amp, and we used it on a few things. We can hear it on the song um, "Never Get Enough." There's kind of like yeah, a lead, leadish guitar figure in there. Yeah. It's really beautiful and awesome to me, and I still get really excited to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. that's so, my favorite. Silver, song Silver Strand today. Perhaps Silver, uh, step outside yourself tomorrow. Are there? Are there user questions, listener questions? Yeah, we just we got two listener questions. We'll finish with those. Um, firstly, from a, a, a buddy of mine, John, who runs Disconnect Disconnect Records. They they, uh, they recently put out Ten Foot Poles' latest album in Europe. So he he works with a lot of cool bands, and he he's a big Over It fan. He says, "What's what's your favorite Over It track?" And he likes to put in that his is a toss up between Wrong Way Crush and Ignore the Noise. And then you put in brackets, "Yes, I like fast stuff." Cool. Um, gosh, it's it's hard to choose, quite frankly. Uh, Ignore the Noise is a really fun song that is really cool um, in my memory of, like, wanting to try something really, like... We wanted to write the fastest possible song that we could play, and that was cool. And then we wanted to make it... We wanted to make a pl- our version of, of a political statement because over it was always deliberately apolitical, but we were a mm-hmm. band about personal integrity and friendship and helping people and inspiring people. So we were like, well, no effects is making awesome political statements about like mistrusting the government at the very least and mocking it wherever you can because it's, it's, it, might, it might be really foolish and, and destructive. And so that's what that song kind of was about. And, yeah, so good choice. Um, gosh, for me, I really like Mr. Serious right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a Step Outside Yourself song. Step Outside and Yourself, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's a lost tune called Your New Revolution, which is really cool. Um, and... Also, gosh, blackball. I want to pull a little bit from all the different eras. Okay, Nick, did you want to ask the last one? Um, yeah, we've got a question from D- uh, Dan from Swindon. Um, he said, do you still listen to much pop punk these days? If so, what? Where is Swindon? <laughs> Chris, do you want to, yeah, do you want to it's, tell that one? <laughs> it's, it's kind of in the southwest of England, like maybe an hour and a half out of London. It's uh, okay. Cool. It, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. If, if have you ever been? Have you ever actually been to the UK in like your? I haven't, but I'm going. I think I'm going to be in the new year. I'll have to hit you guys up. Oh yeah. I'm my wife's si- my wife's sister works in London for uh, a big really? American company, but she's she lives there now and loves it. Oh, uh, do you know what part of London she lives in? Um. Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting right now. <laughs> well, you, you you have to drop me a text and let me know. I will. I'll let you know. It's it's. A, it is a recognizable neighborhood. Um, yeah. I just forget the name right now. Uh, but yeah, Swindon's a shithole. Um, you don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, sorry. Okay. So what was the question from Swindon? Forgive me. Um, and also we know this guy, so he he knows it's a shithole as well. So I'm not I'm not offending a <laughs> random listener here. You you might be offending other listeners That's from true. Swindon though, Chris. That's true. But they know it. They know it. The coolest pop punk song I had heard before today um, that's new uh, a band that I got into, let me answer this question three different ways. A band I got into in the last 10 years that's amazing that I should have known as a child, 
the Mice yeah. from Cleveland, mid '80s band, yeah, so amazing pop punk band. Them, yeah. um, freaking fantastic! Heard about them for the first time from Billy Joe Armstrong in the 1994 Rolling Stone Green Day interview. Oh, wow! Yeah. Um, my gosh, I can't believe. Um, but thank thank goodness for the proliferation of digital audio in in the music world because that brought the mice to all of us. So enjoy the mice, um, and enjoy Bill Fox, the singer of the mice. He's a really prolific songwriter on his own. New punk rock stuff. the The new Good Riddance album is freaking awesome. Yeah, like fantastically awesome. Um, and there's another band. Thought, thoughts God. and prayers. I think it was called or something. Yeah, there's a band I heard on Spotify today. I really like the new Millen Colin album a lot. That was cool. Oh, that yeah, that's great. Dude, what was... Sorry, I'm like pulling out my phone and looking it up right now. Um, there's a band I... It, it, like, I was like, whoa, this sounds like Green Day. Cool. What in the world is it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to I'm gonna have to look it up. It was a band from, I think, Sweden... And they reminded me of Green Day a lot, like Kerplunk and right. Green Day, early 90s. Okay. Um, that's it. Looking for new stuff. All right, dudes. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. I thank you. 